songs, and I understand the concept and the precept these folks are, are, are thinking of when they write them. But uh, the fact that they'll be satisfied with the little cabin over in the corner of glory. But I'm glad that my Savior gives me a mansion. And not just because I want to live in a mansion someday, but because of the expression of His love toward us. And the fact that we did not deserve it. Uh, what an amazing God we have. And um, I'm glad we hold in our hands the inspired, preserved, without error, Word of God. And when it tells us we have mansions being prepared, then I just believe we have mansions being prepared. An atheist went to a young lady one time who was talking about Jonah and the whale. And he's trying to trip her up. And he said, do you honestly expect me to believe that Jonah swallowed the whale? And, of course, that wasn't true. The whale swallowed Jonah. And he was trying to trip her up. And he, she caught on to what he was saying. And she said, no, sir. The whale swallowed Jonah. Not Jonah swallowed the whale, she said. But then she thought a minute and she said, but if my Bible said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe that too, she said. <laughs> and, you know, the truth is God's Word is absolutely 100% correct. If it's not, then we don't have an authority. We don't have something to stand on. We must have an infallible, preserved Word of God. And we believe it to be done so very, very much so in the English language in the King James Version. We, uh, I make a big deal of that. You say, why do I make a big deal about it? <clears throat> because it's important for us to have something that is a sure word. That when we teach something from Scripture, we don't have to scratch our head and say, did they really translate that correctly? Men that today will come out and say that they should have translated it differently. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but as we grow further away in time from an event... Our understanding of that event grows a lot weaker. Uh, it, it disintegrates. It, it kind of loses some of its strength. You say, uh, I don't know if that's true or not. All you have to do is look at the founding of our country and where we're at today. Uh, you know, a hundred years ago, I'll say this, 50 years ago, we still understood and knew what our country was founded on. And nowadays, we've got a large portion of our society. I was watching a, a thing this week where an interviewer went out during the 4th of July celebration. And with grown adults, I'm talking about people who should know, mid, middle age and up in years, went to him and said, what, what was July 4th all about? And they couldn't tell him. Well, wh who did we fight in our war for independence? They couldn't tell him. Who was the first president in the United States? They couldn't tell him. And I'm talking about not, not college-age kids. We're not talking about the millennials here. I'm talking about people that should have known, that didn't know it. We're living in a country that has forgotten, haven't they? And so why in the world would I take some more modern view of Scripture when I've got something that I can hold to and know that God inspired it and He preserved it for me in the English language when the English language was at its pinnacle? When the scholars that, that uh, translated it were far more scholarly than the men we have today. And when I believe also they were divinely aided by God Himself in the translation work. The care that they took, um, there's no doubt that our translation of Scripture in the King James Version is a supernaturally aided translation. And uh, we hold to that because... It's important. Words matter. Different words mean different things. 
That's why we have more than one word in the English language. And if we change a word, that changes the meaning. We've got to be so careful of these things and uh, understand that uh, we do have a preserved word in our language today um, that we can hold to. And you can have confidence in it. You can have faith in it. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter number 16. <clears throat> and uh, we'll begin reading in verse 13. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Uh, be praying, if you will, for uh, Brother Ron Olson's family. Uh, he, his sister passed away this past week, and uh, they'll be having a viewing this afternoon up in Afton, I think you said it is, Afton. And uh, from 4 to 8. And what was the funeral home, do you remember? Cutis? Okay. And that's in Afton, Missouri. Uh, and then the funeral tomorrow about 11 o'clock, I think it was, uh, there also. But uh, do be in prayer for that family, if you will, and uh, for God's grace during this time. Matthew chapter number 16, if you will, verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the son, I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit uh, give clear direction, give understanding, and Father, may we rightly divide your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an awful lot to be preached on out of this text, and uh, we will not be preaching on it in what you would consider to be the traditional way. We're going to be looking at it from a little different point of view, but I do want to point out a couple of things just by way of introduction here. The fact that the, the Lord Jesus Christ indicates to Peter that his understanding that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by the way, aren't you glad you used, he used the definite article there? Uh, there's not a bunch of Christs. There's not a bunch of uh, sons of God in this sense that could take away the sin of the world. There's only one. There's only one way to the Lord, uh, to uh, the Father, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me." And we're living in a day where a lot of people are saying, "Well, there are many paths to God, but there is only one." And Peter understood this. He said, "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus spoke this. He said to Peter, he said, uh, Flesh and blood had not shown it to him, uh, revealed it unto thee. He says in verse number 17, notice what he says here, But my Father which is in heaven. We find a truth given here, that there are some things that we know inwardly that the Holy Spirit guides us and teaches us in. This was not something that uh, he understood from the natural world. Peter didn't look around and see the flesh and blood of things around him and the physical th world around him and realize or come to an understanding that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. There was something inside of him that spoke to this. And it was the Father showing Peter that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And can I tell you this? Uh, I was talking with somebody just this week about this. When we come to Scripture, 
there is an importance that we need to place on the leading of the Holy Spirit and His teaching us Scripture. There being an enlightening or an understanding of truth. And I don't know how many times I've watched, <coughs> watched as people begin reading Scripture and saying, I'm going to get into reading my Bible now, I'm going to start. And they never ever ti- take time to pray and say, Lord, help me understand this. Give me, give me understanding. Lighten the truth. Help me to see these things. Because this is, there are some things in Scripture that God just brings to our heart and to our mind and gives clarity on. We find that this is a, a wonderful truth spoken of here in verse 17, that some things God just teaches us inwardly. Some things you just ought to know. And uh, these are things that the Bible speaks of here in verse 17. He also said this, I say also upon, uh, unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so many people have taken this verse to mean that God was going to build His church on Peter. That is not what is being taught here. The rock that Christ is speaking of here is the truth that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The fact that He is the One who is the Redeemer of mankind. The foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't have Him, if we don't have His death, His burial, His resurrection, then we have nothing going on here by way of truth. Everything in this book is predicated on the one truth, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen again. It all is based on that foundation. And if there's any other foundation that's given here, then it is a rocky foundation. It is one that will be destroyed. But this is one that is an unshakable foundation. And so he tells Peter in verse number 18, he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the fact that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'll build my church. And he makes this statement. By the way, aren't you glad that he's the one that builds the church? I was listening to a preacher a number of years ago. He said, it's amazing how often we take God's responsibility and we try to give Him our responsibility. Let God do what He's going to do. Let's walk with God. Let's deepen our relationship with Him. Let's witness wherever we go. But when it comes to an increase, that's got to be God's. He builds the church. He's the one that brings people to Christ. You don't have to go to a seminar and learn the latest technique of gimmicking somebody to pray a prayer. You simply share the gospel and let the Holy Spirit of God do the work on the heart and let them draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let Him give the fruit. Notice it says in verse number 18, as he says this about this rock that he's building this church on. He's going to build this, this church on the rock, and he makes this statement, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We all understand this, do we not today? That we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The Bible teaches us that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We understand that there is a battle that is going on that is outside the realm of physical strength. If the battle of the Christian life could be won with physical strength, then we would all be at the gym this week working out and lifting weights. But there is a battle that goes on here that requires a strength that oftentimes you and I do not have. And so we must have in our Christian life the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of this rock being the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and the rock is so stable and so secure that when the church is built on it, and not man's philosophies, when we take a church and we build it upon the precepts of this book, 
we find that that church is an unshakable and a steadfast entity. It is something that when the gates of hell try to storm it and try to destroy it and try to try to get uh, the, the, the things uh, of the church in such an uproar that, that the church disintegrates from the inside out, that when the gates of hell come against it, it's going to withstand because it's on the proper foundation. If you will, take a moment and turn with me over to Acts chapter number 4. By the way... A lot of these things that we're teaching here about the foundation that the church is established on are also true when it comes to the establishing of our personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're trusting our works, if we're trusting our, our, uh, our moral center of our minds, the, what seems to be right or what seems to be wrong, if we, we base right and wrong on what we think to be fair or not fair or the philosophies of men or the pressures of men, then we are destined to be on an un, uh, on a unsecure and an insecure foundation. But notice as we get to Acts chapter number 4, in Acts 3, and I'm going to give you a little background here, John and Peter are coming to the temple, and the Bible says that they're going there to pray. And when they get to the gate of the temple, there's a man that's laying there, and he's begging. He cannot walk. He's, the Bible refers to him here in chapter 4 as an impotent man. He's not able to walk, and he's begging at the gate. And John and Peter fasten their eyes on him, and Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says that he rose up and he leaped up and he stood and he walked. And, and this miracle had been done. Boy, I'll tell you, the leaders of the temple did not like that. The high priests and the men that were in the temple that were the leaders and the teachers of the day, they saw what was going on and they heard about it and they saw this man and they got John and, and, and Peter and they, the Bible says that they, they took him and they, they took hold of them and brought them into their midst and demanded that they give some kind of an answer. They were accused of using the power of Satan to do these things. And that brings us to where we want to read here in chapter number 4. If you will, look with me in verse number 8. They're standing before the high priest, and in verse number 8, they had been asked by what power or by what name they had done this. And then it says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost... By the way, wouldn't it be good if you and I could be filled with the Holy Ghost? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could walk in His might and His power and His direction through our lives? Wouldn't it be wonderful if day by day we could rise from our beds and go through our day with the Holy Spirit of God guiding and directing us and strengthening us for the work of God? to be able to share boldly and without apology and with clear understanding of Scripture the, the, the wonderful story of the Gospel. Notice what it says there, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. So these are not just the common men. These are the affluent. These are the influential. These are the, these are the, 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 the movers and shakers of people. I mean, they are influencers, if you will. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. I think it's amazing to me the humility of these apostles. 
They're bold, are they not? They came out and they looked, they, the Bible said in chapter 3 that they, they told the man to look upon them. And they looked upon him and, he, and they, said, they, they said, I want you to rise. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I want you to rise and walk. And he did. A miracle had been performed. If somebody like us could do that today, and by the way, there's a lot of guys out there that claim they can, you know what you'd do? You'd puff yourself up. You'd pass the offering plate three or four times. You'd live in a nice house, drive a really nice car, because, boy, I am God's gift to humanity here. But not these fellas. These fellas had the opportunity to do a work for this young, this, this impotent man. And when they were questioned about it, their comment was, and I don't want just you guys to know this, I want to make sure all Israel understands this. This man's not here walking today because of Peter and John. This man's here walking today because he was healed in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make sure everybody understands this, that God is the one who heals. That God is the one that brings cleansing to the life. Notice as he preaches this and he teaches this, being filled with the Holy Ghost, he tells them there in verse number 10, and by the way, talk about some boldness. Peter says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified... Now, that's some boldness, let me tell you. Y'all are the ones at fault here. You guys put him to death. And it's by his power and by the might that was used to raise him from the dead that this man has been made whole. He said, the man that you've crucified, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom ye crucified. Notice what he says here. Whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Then I want you to notice what is said here by Peter. After he makes the statement that Jesus is the one who is the, uh, responsible for the power to heal this man, he says in verse number 11, This is the stone, not the man, not the healing. What is he referring to here? What's the stone? The Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become, notice this phrase, the head of the corner. The head of the corner. Now, Peter says this, Neither, by the way, neither, uh, you guys are asking me about this physical healing of a man. Let me tell you something. Neither is there salvation by any other. Not only is there healing by Christ, not only has He done this work in the impotent man's life, but while we're on the subject of Christ, let me tell you something else about Him. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. This is the cornerstone of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. We would call it the gospel of Christ. Christ is the cornerstone. Not only that, the Bible says here is that we get to... Verse number 11, and he talks about the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Not just any corner, the head corner. The chief, other places in Scripture, known as the chief cornerstone. Did a little bit of research. I wanted to find out why is, why is it significant. What's this cornerstone all about? It's interesting to me. There, there are certain things that are very, very important about a cornerstone. First of all, 
It's the very first thing that is laid in the foundation. By the way, before you can do anything as a Christian, or grow as a Christian, or even be a Christian, the foundation of Christ must be laid in your heart by faith. There has to be an establishing of this, this, this chief stone, this cornerstone, if you will. There's a number of stones that are used in buildings. They have uh, capstones, and capstones are usually put on the top of a bulwark uh, to finish the top of it off. And it's to, it's to bring protection. It shelters uh, the erosion of the building underneath it. And there's a capstone that the Bible speaks of. And then there's a, a keystone. And a keystone is the one that takes the pressure it's the one that holds everything in balance and keeps it all secure. But then you have the cornerstone. The cornerstone, all of these other stones, no matter how big or little they are, no matter if it's a capstone or a keystone, none of them matter if the cornerstone is not secure. The cornerstone has to be the main thing. It has to be the first stone that is laid. In fact, before any other stone in the foundation is laid, the cornerstone is laid. It is made sure that it is right and true. That it is squared. In fact, in the Old Testament times, they would actually align the, the cornerstones with the constellations in the sky to make sure that they were absolutely true and in line with what they were supposed to be. And once the cornerstone was laid, other stones would be laid to help fill that foundation in, but all of those stones were dependent on the cornerstone. The cornerstone did a couple of things. The cornerstone set the direction and the elevation of all the rest of the house. It's the one that put into line the things that were going to be. All of the rest of the, the, uh, the foundation is laid in reference to the, king, uh, the, 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 the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, or the, the main stone of the foundation. The Bible refers to that. In fact, we're going to see here in just a little bit that the Bible refers to the apostles as part of a foundation with Christ being the main part of that foundation, the chief cornerstone. And what he's referring to there is those that had been used by God to write our Scriptures. This book is our foundation. And at the very heart of all of it is the Lord Jesus Christ. You take Him away, I'm sorry, this book crumbles. There is no truth to it. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of it is true. Everything about this foundation that we hold to, this book that we call the Bible... This thing that we build our lives on, everything there revolves around the one thing, and that is the chief or the head cornerstone. The one that was laid first. In fact, the Bible says he was slain before the foundation of the earth. He was the first one. He was the firstborn of all creation, the Bible says. He is above all. He is preeminent. He's the one that is magnified. By the way, he's the one that sets the direction, doesn't he? He's the one that sets in line the things that are to be. We look for guidance in our world, and we've talked about this in the last several weeks in our society. We have a country, not only in our, in our United States of America, but in this world as a whole. We have people that, are, that, are, that are, have no direction. Every man is doing that which is right in their own eyes, and their morals are based on what they think or what they've read from somebody else or what they were taught in school. The truth is, there's one thing that we can always hold to that has set everything straight, that is absolute truth, that is the, the thing that we can anchor ourselves to and not have to worry about it. And as Jesus told Peter, if the church is built on this stone, on this rock that I'm building, that, that I am, the Lord Jesus Christ, if the church is built on it, if the gates of hell storm it, it's still not going to be able to take it. That rock is so secure. 
By the way, your life is secure in Him. Aren't you glad? The Bible says that we're hid and secure in Him. I'm thankful that when we build our lives on the right foundation, we can have a life that is stable. We can have a life that has security to it, that has a steadfastness to it, that helps us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, that helps us to be faithful. Why? Because we have a foundation we can come back to, and we know every single time it's going to be right where it's supposed to be. It's going to be pointed in the right direction. And everything else I put around it is going to be based on how it lines up in relation to that cornerstone. I'm going to go over this direction with the foundation, and I'm going to go over this direction in the foundation. And those of you that built houses, we talk about a foundation being square. It's squared off of the cornerstone. I want to make sure that it is in line with that. Everything else that we read in Scripture, above all, the thing we need to make sure that we are in line with is the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking to somebody just recently who has, for a number of years, said, I'm saved. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. And they're going through some very, very difficult times in their life. And they said, I just, I struggle. I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been praying. And just don't seem to have any desire to do that. And I understand there are times we can grow cold and lose uh, from time to time desires and, and grow callous towards some of the things of the Lord. But it should not be a continuous thing. It should not be a regular thing. It ought to be something that brings conviction to our heart when that time comes. And we start saying, boy, there's something missing that used to be there at least. And I began talking to this fellow. And I said, listen, when you got saved, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, there should have been something inside that was different. There should have been at least some desire or some pull towards these things. Some desire to know the Word of God, to build on this truth, and not the truth of the world and the philosophy of the world. It teaches, it sets the direction of the building, and every other piece of the foundation must be in line with that cornerstone, or the foundation will crumble and the building will be destroyed. It all depends on that one stone. It serves as a historical landmark. Isn't it amazing? Our Bible tells us to remove not the ancient landmarks which our fathers had put before us. Interesting to me that when Jacob had gotten away from the Lord after his spiritual time there at Bethel as he was fleeing Esau, how he had a wonderful appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ and was able to meet with God face to face there at Bethel. God had, God had made some covenants with him and promises to him, and, and Jacob was doing, uh, doing uh, some, some, some great things for the Lord. Years later, as his heart had grown cold and some of his family had begun to bring idols into the home, Jacob said, we're going back to Bethel. I want to go back to where I lost this closeness with the Lord. He began to tell his family, I want you to put away the idols. Get rid of them. We're going back, and we're going to have our hearts revived again by going back to this place. The chief cornerstone never moves. He's always there. Somebody said it this way one time. If you ever realize that you've drifted from the Lord, you're the one that moved, not Him. He's still there. He's right where you left Him. By the way, we're living in a day where even God's people are drifting along with the world. Our eyes are focused on the wrong thing. We're focused on our distance from them rather than our closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because He's the foundation that never moves. He's the one that is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible refers to Him here in Acts chapter 4 as the head of the corner. He's the one that everything else in our life hinges upon. 
The cornerstone brings direction. It brings stability. It brings steadfastness. Can I say this? It brings integrity to the building. It brings integrity to the building. If the cornerstone falters, if the cornerstone moves, the building will collapse. It is the key to the entire foundation that is there. I want you to turn with me, if you will, and and this has all been preparation for the message, and the message is is the application of it here. Let's look in 1 Peter now, chapter 2. Knowing these things about the chief cornerstone, that the fact that he is the head corner, let's look in 1 Peter chapter number 2. And we're going to find another reference to this. 1 Peter chapter number 2, and who better to speak on this than Peter himself, who was there when the Lord Jesus Christ said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. If anybody understood the truth of what Christ was saying there, Peter did. Peter knew and understood very clearly that he was not speaking of him, he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ being the rock. Look in verse num- uh, chapter number 2, and let's look in verse number 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all uh, uh, evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the work, that ye may what? Grow thereby. Remember that. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. If so be that ye have what? Tasted that the Lord is gracious. That, that kind of goes along with the whole milk of the Word thing, doesn't it? They, tasting the milk of the Word, if you will. Tasting now the grace of the Lord. His graciousness. Now keep that in mind. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. To whom coming as unto a living stone... Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. This, this, this stone that God is, is a living stone that when we trust Him as our Savior, we become a living stone ourselves. Now, we're not the Lord Jesus Christ, but He is inside of us and causing this to take place. Notice what it says here in verse number 5, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. So when we get saved... The, the lively stone that is the Lord Jesus Christ, this precious one, makes us a lively stone. He becomes part of us. He lives inside of us and dwells inside of us. And Peter says this in verse number 5, that this begins a building of a spiritual house. This spiritual house is based on a foundation. What's the foundation? The lively stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that is important to this foundation of the spiritual house. And holy priesthood offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in Scripture. You say, well, I don't know if this is talking about the cornerstone. Let's see what it says here. Wherefore, also it is contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment, and I want us to look at some things here. The the, the chief stone is the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of his, of his death, His burial, His resurrection. The redemptive man of plan. Uh, plan of man. Uh, there you go. Redemptive plan of man of plan. Redemptive plan of man. 
being the, the, the solid cornerstone. It is the thing that all other Scripture rests upon. Without Christ, without His redemptive plan, the Bible crumbles. This being the, the cornerstone, this being the foundation of the Word. Peter makes this statement. Unto us, verse number 7, unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, these would be the ones who do not believe. These would be the ones who reject Christ. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. doesn't matter what the religious leaders did with the Lord Jesus Christ, does it? Because He was still the head of the corner regardless of it. These builders that men looked to for years rejected Him. He's not the cornerstone. Guess what? My Bible tells me in Philippians chapter number 2, but God also hath highly exalted Him, given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I tell you this? It didn't take men to establish Christ as the cornerstone. It took God Himself to establish Him and say He is the cornerstone. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid in the man Christ Jesus. We can have no other foundation for this spiritual house that we're to be building other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to be the preeminent one. He has to be the one that we look to, not just in some areas of our life, but in every area of our life. So much so that the Bible tells us here, and Peter tells us here, that those of us who believe, those of us that, that, that put our faith in this cornerstone as the unmovable foundation, the, the foundation that brings direction to our life, the foundation that becomes a landmark that we can always come back to, those that believe, notice what it says here. Verse number 7, "...to those of their, uh, unto you therefore which believe, he is what?" Precious. That's how Christians can say, I love God with all of my heart. By the way, what is the greatest commandment of Scripture? Hard to do it with the wrong foundation, isn't it? Hard to do it. Unto there, therefore which believe, He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed. I want you to notice those that reject Christ. See what, what takes place here. Verse number 8. Those that disbelieve, the Bible says, in a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, He causes them to stumble at the truth of the gospel. They don't understand it. The Bible teaches that. In fact, Paul tells us that. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. This cornerstone to those that do not believe, this foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this rock of Him being the Son of God who came to redeem man from his sin. This cornerstone, this chief cornerstone, becomes a, a rock that causes a stumbling to the world. It even says so as we get down to verse number 8, "...and a stone of stumbling and rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the Word, being disobedient." They reject Christ. They have no understanding of Scripture. They don't, they don't understand the truth of God's Word. And then they try to come up with rules and laws to live by. They try to say this is right and this is wrong, and they have no idea of what wrong and right are. Why? Because there's no foundation. We sang with the My Place residential folks yesterday and the day before 
BBS. The wise man built his house upon a rock. And the rains came tumbling down. And the floods came up. But the house on the rock did what, guys? It stood firm, didn't it? Stood firm. The foolish man, he built his house on the sand, didn't he? And when the rains came and the floods came, what happened to that house? It went splat, didn't it? it? Sure did. It's a simple truth. You say, Pastor, why is that important to me as a Christian? I mean, you're speaking to the Sunday morning crowd. Because it's amazing to me that in the day that we live, we will trust Christ for our soul's salvation. But we depart so far from Him in every other aspect of our life, it seems. In our homes, in our workplaces, I hate to say it, even in our churches. He is no longer the foundations. And our lives begin to get wrecked and ruined. Our, our, our lives become a, a chaos, a mess. Our churches, while they may have large crowds, are certainly doing nothing to bring men's hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's no foundation to them. Those of us that believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, look with me, if you will, in verse number 2. Chapter 2 of First Peter, in verse number 2. As newborn babes, this is speaking here of those that have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may what? Grow thereby. Can I encourage us in this? You cannot grow spiritually the way you should if Christ is not the chief cornerstone in our life. You can work at it, you can labor at it, and the best you'll do is become frustrated. You can try to live outwardly the way that people expect you to, or the way even that the Bible tells us that we ought to appear outwardly. But if all we're doing is working on the outside, we're focusing on the wrong area. We need to focus on the foundation. Is Christ preeminent? Is He the chief cornerstone of my life? In every aspect of my life, do I seek for His will? Do I seek for His knowledge in understanding how to live life? Notice also in verse number 3, the Bible says, if, if be so, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We go from the, having the milk of the Word to tasting the graciousness of the Lord. Now, I don't know if there's a, a distinction here Peter is making between the milk of the Word and now this is something a little meatier that the graciousness of the Lord is tasted here. But suffice to say this, that one of the benefits... Of, of believing in and having Christ as our chief cornerstone, making Him the preeminent one in our lives, Every, the, the, the center point, the thing that every other aspect of our life revolves around, is the fact that we taste of His graciousness in our life. We begin to see His gracious hand at work. We begin to become a thankful people and a grateful people because we see the graciousness of our God. Do we understand the, the, the magnitude of this truth today? That if it were not for God's mercies being renewed every day to us, we would be consumed. The Bible talks about that. If He did not extend His grace to us daily by providing mercy, we would be consumed every day. You say, I don't understand that, Pastor. Why would that happen? Because we sin every day. And He's a holy God. This foundation that we have, if we believe in it, we can grow we can taste of His graciousness. Notice verse number 6. 
He that believeth on Him, the latter part of it here, right before verse 7, He that believeth on Him shall not be confounded. You're not, going to be, you're not going to be stressed and worried by the concerns of this life. You're not, you're not going to be sitting here all in the tizzy and all in an uproar. Oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? There is a steadiness. There is a stability. There's a steadfastness. Let me put it this way. There is a security in having Christ as the chief cornerstone of our foundation. Resting upon Him. Day by day. I want not just my salvation to be based upon Him. I want my life to be based on Him. When I got saved, according to verse number 5, I began a journey of building up a spiritual house. And I want that foundation under every part of that house. I want that cornerstone to be the security so that when that house is built, and the winds of life come, and the, the wiles of the devil beat against it, it will remain unmovable. Not because the house is strong, but because the cornerstone is strong. The cornerstone is unmovable, and it gives security to the house. We're not confounded. It all causes us in verse number 7 to consider God to be precious to us. Isn't it amazing how much we love the Lord Jesus Christ as Christians and how much the world hates Him. We look at that and we're puzzled by that. We're like, how can somebody hate a God who gave His own Son to die a horrible death in their place? How can somebody hate Him so much? We don't understand that. Because when we have the right foundation, He becomes precious to us. Spending time with Him, walking with Him daily, is not something we have to make ourselves do. It's something we long to do because He's precious. I want to spend time with Him. Those that don't believe, He's a stone of stumbling. He's a rock of offense. They stumble at the Word and they become disobedient. Are we secure on the right foundation today. You say, well, Pastor, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But in every aspect of our life, what do we use as the foundation? What do we use as the basis? Do we use our, our own logic and philosophy and thought of, I can handle this part of my life. I, I, don't, I don't need God to be actively involved in this. I can deal with this. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the Bible tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. It says, To lean not unto thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. It's a verse that we know very well, and a lot of people have it memorized, and yet how little we seem to apply it. How often in our lives we take back control and say, I've got this part, God. I can handle this one. In the last several years, there's been a couple of several families actually that I've come or talked to and had to spend time with. Just at the point of breaking. And the first question I ever asked them, how's your walk with God? 
Husband, how's your walk with God? I'm not talking about are you having family devotions. We'll get to that. How are you walking with God? Wife, how are you walking with God? As parents, what are you what are you displaying to your children? Are you displaying a mom and dad who love God with all of their heart that make Him the center of their lives? As a husband, are you demonstrating to your wife that Christ is the love of my life? He's the thing I cherish most in this world. Wife, does your husband see a wife that longs to walk with God daily? Are you an example to him? There are so many times that we know up here and we even try to do it with our hands, but our hearts are far from Him. We come to church, we've read it before, we know the verses, we can quote them. We can go out these doors and we can try to enact outwardly the things that are expected. But is He the foundation of our life? Not only have you trusted Him for salvation, are you trusting Him daily? The Bible uses it this way, the phrase is it this way, are you walking in the Spirit? See, the central part of your life. We're getting ready tomorrow morning, Lord willing, to have some young people here. We're doing a construction thing. The very first day, we're going to be dealing with the right foundation. We want our young people to have a right foundation. But before they ever get here tomorrow, I want to make sure that every one of us that are going to be here working with them, talking with them, teaching them, take a few minutes aside and look at our hearts and say, I'm going to be teaching them to have a right foundation. Do I? Do I have a right foundation? Am I trusting God in every aspect of my life to give direction, to lay out the lines, to be steadfast and secure that I can anchor to His truth, and to be a place that I can point back to in my life and say, I want to go back to there. That's when I was closest to Him. He doesn't move. He's always there. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it. And I pray that Your Holy Spirit will take the preaching of this particular passage and help us to understand and see the truth of having a right foundation to build on top of it a spiritual house. Not just our salvation, Lord. This is dealing with far more than just salvation. And while it must be the beginning point, May we refer back to, may we look to, may we rest upon, may we rely 